without fail in my evaluations after every class, they're like, that talk was so powerful and unexpected. And it just showed us that life is not a straight line. You're going to take zigzag. And it's, it's better to know that going into it because no one ever tells you that. And I think a lot of people try to like hide their failure. And I'm like, no, I embrace it. I'm not perfect. Welcome to the Rebel Souls podcast, where we flip the middle finger to the status quo. I'm your host, Shelly Paxton, lifelong rebel, liberator of souls, and author of Soulbatical, a corporate rebel's guide to finding your best life. Settle in as we dive deep with badass leaders who are rebelling for what matters most in life, business, and the world at large. I'm so happy you're here. Let's get this revolution started. Before we begin, I want to share an offering from my soul to yours. If you've achieved traditional success only to realize that you're living someone else's dream, then this will start you on a profound journey toward becoming chief soul officer of your own life, just like I did. I'm gifting you a free chapter from my book, Soulbatical, A Corporate Rebel's Guide to Finding Your Best Life. It's called Liberating from the Shackles of Should. And if you're ready to, then visit soulbatical.com to download it for free. That's S-O-U-L-B-B-A-T-I-C-A-L.com. Warning, side effects include intense joy and fulfillment. Hello, fellow rebel souls. Welcome back for another juicy episode. This one has been one I've been so excited to share with you. My dear friend, Rochelle Webb. What I realize in having this conversation today is that I know so many incredible people and it has become my new favorite job to be able to share them with you. And I say this in the conversation with Rochelle, like it just hit me like a lightning bolt, like how incredible it is that I can serve up for each and every one of you, these fellow rebel souls who are lighting the world on fire, who are rebelling for the most incredible things and having an impact. And this is another one of those conversations. Rochelle and I met back in the advertising business many moons ago. And we met on the visa business that we were both working on at the time and became fast friends. And we've now followed each other on our respective journeys from being advertising and marketing professionals. She has been worked on some of the most incredible brands from... Visa to Quicksilver to Apple to Activision. I mean, you name it. This woman has been, you know, one of the marketing and advertising brains behind some really iconic brands. And she then went on her own journey on a sabbatical of sorts when things didn't quite work out and she found herself laid off. And then she started really digging into her passion around fashion. And she started connecting her passions and her superpowers, which we talk about. And it led her on this journey to becoming an entrepreneur. I won't tell you any more about her journey because we get into some of the specifics, but suffice it to say, she is now the CEO and founder of a beautiful company called Optimist Made. And for those of you who watch the video of this conversation, I'm actually wearing 
one of my favorite pieces from the Optimist Made collection. And Rochelle talks a little bit more about it. It's she's actually she's become my my favorite retail brand, but she's actually so much more than a retail brand. She is a cause-inspired e-tailer that stimulates the underdog economy. And you're going to have to listen to the episode to understand what exactly that means because it's going to blow your mind. The way she thinks, she doesn't really even see herself in the retail business or the fashion business. She is truly creating an incubator that changes and transforms lives and giving back in the process. And as if that isn't enough, she's a full-time professor at Loyola Marymount University out in LA teaching marketing and entrepreneurship. And it's really cool. We talk a bit about how she's weaving together both her teaching and her real-time experiences as an entrepreneur. So you guys, there are so many gems in this. It felt so good to catch up with her and to support her business in an even bigger way. I love spending my money with Optimus Made because I love what she's creating in the world with her designers and a much bigger vision. And I love that she's a Black female-owned business. I love that I can support that, that I can invite more of you all to help support that and her and the diversity that she brings to what she's putting out in the world. And I want to celebrate, absolutely celebrate all of my friends of color who are doing amazing shit in this world. And she is yet another. You've already met a few and you're going to meet a whole lot more. And it just makes me so proud. I was smiling ear to ear this entire conversation because she's rocking it. And I want everybody to know. So help me. You'll get so much out of this conversation. And please follow her. Check out Optimist Made clothing, accessories, home goods. She's got all the things. And knowing that you're also supporting a Black-owned business and you're you know, voting with your dollars for diversity and that kind of perspective and impact. And it feels really effing good. So without further ado, let's dive into our conversation with Rochelle Webb. Hey, hey, welcome back, Rebel Souls. I am so excited to welcome Rochelle Webb, a dear friend and soul sister, to this conversation. Welcome, dear. Hello, Shelly. I love you. I miss you. I love you. I miss you too. Rochelle has been a longtime friend. Funny enough, we actually went to the same college. We both went to Boston College, but many years apart. I don't know. Can you tell how much older I am? <laughs> We're the same. We're the same. <laughs> We're the same. It all feels the same now. It's exactly. past, a certain, right? past a certain point. Exactly. But we actually met when we both worked on the visa business in the advertising world once upon a time, sometime in the 2000s. I forget exactly yeah. what it was. We don't have to say the date. <laughs> no, exactly. We don't need to date ourselves yet again. Mm -hmm. And we have just been on the most glorious journey because Rochelle, like me, comes from this incredible background of marketing some of the world's most iconic brands, not just Visa, but Activision and Quicksilver and Apple. Hello. <laughs> I almost forgot Apple. And has since made this really soulful journey to becoming an entrepreneur, 
entrepreneur and you're like an adjunct. Is it adjunct professor? I'm a full-time professor. You're a full-time professor. <laughs> She's freaking teaching at Loyola Marymount out in LA, which is so awesome. So I want to dig into all of this. So I start every one of these conversations by asking, what are you rebelling for? I'm rebelling for every underdog in the world. I grew up an underdog myself. And if you look up the definition of underdog in the dictionary, it is somebody who's expected to lose. To me, the fact that there's a group of individuals in this world walking this earth that are just expected to lose because somebody else has to win is something I have a huge problem with. And so I know that I would not have gotten that resume that you just read off without some help. You know, there were people Mm. who looked at me and said, this girl's got something and they put my name forward and the rest was up to me, but I wouldn't even have gotten looked at without that help. And so I know there's a lot of people out there with raw talent who get looked over every single minute of every single day. And it's just so important to me that I take a moment to notice those individuals the way that I was noticed and give them a chance at making it because it's it's tough. It's so powerful. And I know we're going to dig into this, but you built your whole business on that premise. Optimist made. I have to read this line. Maybe we go into this and then we'll back up into your journey because I want to talk about your journey from marketing into entrepreneurship because I know you had some, it was, it was kind of an awakening for you as well and a bit of a sabbatical, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love how you describe, so Rochelle's company is called Optimist Made and the way she describes it is so powerful. A cause-inspired e-tailer that stimulates the underdog economy. I'll never forget you and I were at dinner. I think we were in Marina Del Rey and you were like, I just landed on how I'm talking about this business. And it was just resonating with every cell in your body. And you said it to me and I was like, my jaw was on the floor. I'm like, that is it, girl. (laughs) Yeah, that was one of our many epic dinners that we've had where our souls just intertwined and bonded. Yes. <laughs> so let's it. so let's do this. So you you're now the CEO and founder of Optimus Made. Before we get into that and that journey, like can you talk about your journey to the place of leaving corporate America and start in becoming an entrepreneur and waking up to the possibility of rebelling for the underdog? Because I know you probably probably felt it your whole life, but when did it crystallize and how did that happen? Oh yeah, it was very specific (laughs) and it wasn't by choice. So I had a long history and career in corporate America, again, working for amazing brands. And I was working on a turnaround at Quicksilver and we reached a point at which they made some decisions about how to restructure the organization in the midst of this turnaround. And they removed the top layer of leadership. Um, So I was included in a portion of those layoffs. You know, because of my package and how that was negotiated, I, you know, I got a severance package that did afford me the ability to be able to take some time and take a beat and just say to myself, what do I want to do next? And so what I realized at Quicksilver was really what my job became was less about creating these state-of-the-art marketing campaigns and more about taking stock 
an analysis of our organization and understanding who should be talking to who in order to move our business forward and getting the right peoples and the people in the room and being a connector. And that was something that I was naturally very drawn to because in life, I like to be a connector. So I found myself really thriving in this role of being in the room and listening, engaging, and then figuring out who else I needed to bring into the room. And so you know, when I was laid off, I'm like, kind of like, what am I going to do next? Am I going to try to find a, a CMO job? You know, I always wanted to be a chief marketing officer. And, you know, I just wasn't feeling called or inspired at the time to do that. And I was just feeling like I want to do more of what I was just doing. And I just realized too, that I know I have this entrepreneurial blood running through my body. I just don't have my idea yet. Mm-hmm. And I said, but there's, so there's, 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 there's a gap there that I can fill, which is, well, if I don't have my own idea, why don't I use my skill set and all the experience I just took from Quicksilver and help other startups to figure out how can they thrive? How can they accelerate past that point of we've just launched, we don't have the resources we've needed, we're fundraising right now so we can get runway. So how can we do that quickly before we die? Mm-hmm. You know, and typically what you need is marketing. You need a communications expert. You need someone who understands operations and strategy to help you refine that. But it's one of the things that people do not spend or invest on early days in, in a startup. And so I felt like, well, I have this great experience working for these huge companies doing just that. So why don't I start working with startups to close that gap for them and not charge them so much for it. Hmm. And so I created a consultancy actually called the Dialectic Compound, where I worked for four and a half years consulting with startups and just helping get them through that initial phase of we've launched and now we need to get to our first round of funding, which was so inspiring. I worked on so many different types of businesses. I touched industries I never dreamed I'd be in ever in my life or career. But what that led me to was that here I'm helping these small startups, but, and I'm trying to give them an opportunity to have access. However, I am lacking my own stability in my own life. And, and when you don't feel like you have that confidence that you can live your life the way you want to based on, you know, how you're getting compensated for the work that you're doing, it's a very unnerving position to be in. I never, I've never felt settled. And I asked myself, is this going to be what the rest of the life is for me? And my biggest client at the time, I'll never forget this day, I was in London. I had just gone on this shopping spree with my mother because I just signed a two-year contract with my biggest client. So I knew I was going to have some confidence in what life would look like for the next couple of years. I had a couple other projects going alongside of it. So I was in a really good place. And I felt like I can actually spend, you know, and splurge and things right now. And it was New Year's Eve and we were standing near to Wimbledon, that kind of area. And I was going to actually go meet with someone at the time to talk about how we could potentially collaborate. And my mom and I were just killing some time. And I look at my phone and I get this email from my biggest client saying, this will be your last month. You know, we didn't get the fund, the funds that we thought we were. And unfortunately we can't afford to see the contract through that we just signed with you. And to me, this was not something new to me. It had happened to me before, but it was kind of the final straw. I was like, this is exactly, I'm so tired of being in this place of, you know, never knowing, even when you have something that feels concrete, you still don't know if it's going to see itself through that way. And so I looked at my mom, I looked at the bags I was holding in my hand and I'm like, I really shouldn't have spent money on all this stuff. (laughs) 
Oops. <laughs> Oops, the daisies. And, you know, and so I said, well, you know what? People are always asking me every time I wear something, where I get it, where can they find it? And something that a lot of people don't realize about me is that I hate, hate with the passion shopping, but I love fashion. <laughs> but unfortunately- There's a paradox for you. Yeah. In order to, you know, embrace fashion, you have to shop. And so, um, and I do like the act of like picking and choosing the things that I like. I just don't like sifting through racks and going from one store to the next. It's just so much trying things on. And so when all of this happened, I said, well, why don't I, you know, so when I shop, I become very irrational. I do it when I'm working. I've been in a global marketing capacity for most of my career. And I see things in windows and I'm like, I'm not going to see this again. So if I really want it, I better get it. And I spend more money than I should on things overseas because it's this magic moment of, wow, like that thing needs to be in my closet, you know, and it it feels inaccessible beyond that very moment that I'm looking at it. So I have to see it through. And so that's why my closet is what it is. And, and then I said, well, why don't I just buy a few more of everything I buy and put it on an Etsy site? And then my friends can have the same experience I have, you know? And I said, even if that helped me offset the income I make on one client, at least it's something that I can control, right? At least I can control on some level my ability to bring that earnings in versus like never knowing with confidence if a client is going to decide they can't afford my services anymore. And, you know, my mom was like, Oh, sounds great to me. You know, she's always, she, you know, I'm like, you know, one of her favorite people in the world. So she's going to tell me everything's amazing. <laughs> so then I had to like That's reach out to my dad. For. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, dad, mom said this sounds great, but what do you think? And he'll, he'll shoot it to me straight, you know? And he actually said, he thinks it's a good idea. And so I went to sleep that night and this is just how I am. The shower, the car, and on my pillow before I go to bed is where my best ideas come from. (laughs) I love it. Um, And I had turned what started as an Etsy site into a full-blown standalone entity that I was going to build on my own. I reached out to an attorney from London, started the incorporation process, and just said, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going to build this. And that's how Optimus Made was born. (laughs) I love it. And so if I can just dig into that a little bit, what's so cool, I think what holds us back a lot from chasing our dreams is like, well, I can't make the big leap or I'm not ready or it feels too scary or maybe you have financial obligations. But what's so powerful about your story is you took that one step at a time, digging a little deeper and a little deeper into your passions and combining your passions and your superpowers, mm-hmm. right? And yeah, so that's so inspiring because I think if we all dig a little deeper, we could say, yeah, you know what? I could do a little bit more of what I love or showcase a little bit more of my, my strengths and my talents in a different way and just see where it takes me. Yeah. One next step, which is exactly what you did. Yes. And I, matter of fact, was just with some girlfriends last night having this exact conversation because I said, you know, people were like, oh, you have the coolest job. And I'm like, I do have the coolest job. I mean, so when you get to do a job where you love every aspect of it, that is an awesome moment. Like that, I do feel like I've arrived, you know, and I just sitting there with them. I'm like, I can't wait for this to be the thing that I'm doing, you know, like the only thing. <laughs> and, um, you know, cause it's, if we're being honest, starting a company 
where there's any sort of overhead is not easy because it takes money, right? And then there's a lot of time that goes into getting people to believe in you and want to put a dollar down to invest in your company so that you have the ability to keep creating runway for yourself. And so I've been largely self-funded up to this point and I have a couple investors as well, but you know, it'll be a minute before I, I can make this my singular focus, you know, but it's something I really look forward to because it does bring all of my passions together. It um, is. It's like, it is you in in a you in a business which yeah. is I, I love it and by the way for people who are watching I am wearing an optimist made I think it's like a tunic it's sort of like a shirt yeah. tunic it is one of many optimist made pieces that I have in my wardrobe because I go to Rochelle's studio and geek out every time I'm in LA so I want you to tell people so how did you tell everyone like how you converted this idea of like I'm gonna support the underdog economy. I'm going to make the leap to go into fashion, do this for myself and share my amazing finds with the world. Talk more about what is Optimist Made and what can we find there? Yeah, that's a great question. And a lot of people oftentimes look at my company and think, this is a fashion company. Oh, you're an e-commerce site in the fashion space. And it's actually really not. It's what my company actually is, is an incubator and accelerator for designers in the fashion space. And so for me, I've had the great opportunity to meet a lot of these designers on all my travels and just ask, passing by and seeing how hard they work to do what they love, which is exactly what I'm doing with Optimus Made. And I just sense, I have the sense of, wow, they're never going to move past this point because they just don't know how. It's not that they don't have the skill or the ability, they just don't know how. And so I do. And so to me, it was a very easy solution. And then, you know, then the data geek in me and, and the sort of business minded person is like, well, I need to create a business that's actually viable, right? I need to create a business that can make money. So I started doing some research. And what do you know? The biggest segment of online spending is in fashion. So I thought, well, there's two facts that fit together that I can build a business off of that will allow two sides to win. So if you think about it from a venture capitalist mindset, I can prove to you there's a very big business out there that I can take advantage of as a part of, you know, the, a segment that I will be a part of. But to the designer, it's great because they never thought they were going to have this opportunity. And here comes this gift angel that's yeah. saying, you will have this opportunity. Yeah. And, and that's what's it. And I really get to know these designers very intimately. I, I sit with them for hours before I do a deal with them because to me, what's more important than the product itself is the person behind the product. And I think that's oftentimes gets, gets lost in a lot of business that we do in life is people are just like, okay, give it to me. Like, what's the deal? What's the deal? What's the deal? And they're not looking at who's the person in front of the deal. And, and that's the key. And so to me, the person's so important. And when you really start to unpeel all the layers, you start to see that there's this very beautiful raw soul there. And a lot of my meetings end in tears because these designers are saying to me, thank you. Thank you for seeing in me what I didn't see in myself. You know, and that is a powerful thing for me because that means impact. That means opportunity. That means, you know, there's a chance that this person's going to thrive that they never thought they would have. And I'm just so, t as a black woman, I suffer from this all the time. The people that 
don't look like me are the ones that are getting all of the money on Sand Hill Road, all of the money from venture capitalists. I mean, less than 1% of Black women or women of color are invested in at, at a venture level or any level of significance. There's only 39 Black women ever to receive over a million dollars in venture funding. And if you think about how much money gets poured into startups every single day, every single year, that number is astounding. And, you know, I'm like, that's a statistic I want to be a part of, I guess, you know, I want to move it in the right direction, you know, like I want to be 40, <laughs> you know, but we need you want to be a part of growing, right? Yeah. To get yeah. that recognition for more and more immensely talented women of color. And I love that you're a bold voice out in this space. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm living what they're living. I'm living their truth. So I have an understanding and I've always feel that I've been an empathetic leader. I really try to put myself in other people's shoes when I'm making decisions, when I'm reacting to things. And with these designers, I just, I'm living it alongside of them just in a little bit of a different way. And I'm like, this can't be, and I don't want to make it that hard on them. So let me take on all of the hard conversations and raise the money. And then I want to prove to the world when you just start to see people and you start to see their talent and give them a chance, they will prove to you they're going to run with it. And so when people ask me, where do I want to see my company in three to five years? I want it to be all about impact. It's not about how many items I sold. It's not how many, how much money I made on the clothing that I sold. In actuality, I expect that to be a small fraction of my uh, P&L in the long run, because what I expect to happen is that by me telling the stories of these designers, giving them a storefront and showing them to the world that some of these larger retailers like the Bloomingdale's, the Neiman's, the Fred Siegel's, they start to see these, these designers and say, whoa, that's something I want in my store. And I start to become an agent for these designers to go mainstream. And then I become, you know, the person that helps them grow into a a true viable business versus just a startup. So I want to take them from startup to scale up. And that's really what the business is about. And that's what I want people to really understand because it's about making a change. And I give a portion of all my profits to also charities that are structured in the same way. So not the large charities. I go find small charities who are doing great work, who just don't have the visibility to, they don't, they're not making, they're not raising money because no one knows they exist. Mm-hmm. If they just have a, and a little bit of money for them will go a long way. So I go find those little charities around the world and I give a portion of my profits back to charities like that so they can thrive. It's so beautiful. And the charities that you find are in the communities slash countries that your designers are from. Is that right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. So it's, it's a, a beautiful it's c- cycle, circle. Yeah. So these designers work or it's helping their own economy. So it's helping the underdog economy on both sides. There's so much humanity to everything that you just described in the way that you've architected your business in the way that the, you know, you're showcasing these designers, who they are, and even in the way you do your social media. So I know one decision you made early on is I'm using real people as models. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do the flashy, you know, photoshopped, everybody's skinny as hell kind of thing. And so that's another dimension of the humanity. Can you talk about that choice? And yes, 
I love it. That was a very, very specific and um, intentional decision on my part. And it's not just about, because there's a lot of companies are actually making this shift to using, they maybe still use models, but they at least they are using models with body types that replicate real women that are walking around in the world. So it's not a size double zero anymore. They're starting to share the full spectrum and all of that. So that's exciting as an industry shift in general. But I think the really important thing that I do in terms of using real women is I also tell their stories and they all have a story to tell. And, you know, many of them have very special skills and traits and things. And I try to find opportunities to always show them to the world. I've I've started a lot of different series of content on Instagram lately. I've been drawing from a lot of my muses where they have expertise in certain areas to feature them as part of these content series so more people can know about them and what they do. But even, you know, even the mom that you know like the mom that models for me as a muse like someone should really know how hard it is to be a mom you know and that she's doing it and that she's keeping up and all the things she's balancing alongside of that because I what I really want is at the core Optimus made to be very relatable to people and very honest I want to walk the walk I use this analogy a lot of you know because with Black Lives Matter really starting to take hold of what's, you know, of society and this awakening that's happening right now. People are like, how has it been for you? You know? And I said, it's been like running through mud. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I've been running my whole life trying to make it, trying to, to to keep up, trying to be successful. But for some reason, it just feels much harder than everybody else around me. I'm running, running as hard as I can, but some, for some reason, I'm just not moving as far as my peer set that doesn't look like me. And so for me, it's just, this is what I see in people. We are all struggling on some level with something. And you, sometimes you just need someone else to be your advocate. And so I want to be from all my muses to all of my designers. I want to advocate for them. And that's what the platform is really about, you know, and I really want people to feel that because I think there's a lot of companies out there that start to use these social initiatives as a way of making their co- their company and their concept feel good and sound good and get people to open their wallets. But when you really start to look behind what, what have they done, they haven't really done anything. They've yeah. just said they're socially conscious, but they're not, then show me what you've done. You know, I just partnered up with some of you know different people in my community and muses and we raised over $20,000 for various charities that are supporting people of color right now and it's amazing congratulations thank you but I mean I legit I literally made the donation screenshotted the receipt so that I would have that to show people to say this donation was actually made you know, and I feel like sometimes people don't take it that far. So it's like, you don't really know what you're doing as a shop when you're trying to shop with a purpose or shop for good, because people aren't really telling you. So I really try to make it a point to merely communicate that back because it's so important to me. Yeah, that humanity, that transparency, you're building this powerful platform to showcase diversity. I mean, that's mm-hmm. really like when I think about I've seen, you know, some of I met actually one or two of your designs when I was when I was there. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about like how you're finding these incredible people and discovering their work and maybe a story that really resonated with your soul? Yes. This, people ask me this question all the time and it just goes back to the, uh, the point of authenticity. And I just, 
I really do want to find those, those jewels that are tucked underneath the stone. You know, I don't want it to be the obvious usual suspect that if you just did a quick Google search, you would find this person. And so I really work hard at it. So a lot of the times if I'm in the country, I'll go to the markets and I will find designers that way. And I'll just see who's hustling, who's, who's out there talking about their work, who's really trying to draw customers in, what is, you know, is a product different or unique enough, but still transferable enough where people will wear it in the United States. Yeah. So that's usually, that's kind of like the most frictionless because people don't know who I, they, I am when they see me coming. And then I get to kind of do my assessment before they know what I'm all about. And if, if they pass the sort of that litmus test and I can like dive in deep and say like, this is what I'm doing. Do you want to be a part of it? Yeah. And by the way, sorry, just to pause you, we're talking like Mexico, Croatia, UK. What are some of the other ones? I'm Ireland. Um, yeah. Hawaii. Yeah. The really just like, yeah, not, not the usual countries. you would Yeah. That's that was part of what cool. I love too, because in buying stuff from you, I'm like, I'm wearing the Croatian designer that is about to be discovered. And it feels so freaking cool. Like, yeah. I do, like I sense these people as I'm putting this on, it makes me really proud yeah. to wear the clothes that I buy from you to know I'm supporting supporting a community and a designer and your business, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're wearing one of my most favorite designers from Mexico. Oh, it's from Mexico. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember. And I am wearing... Who is the designer? Abel Lopez. And he okay. is lovely. He's just... He is just this breath of fresh air when you sit with him and talk to him. And he has a story behind everything he creates. It's so, I mean, it's no surprise to me that you've picked items from his collection because he's got this sort of really rebellious vision behind his collection too, which is really cool. So maybe one day you and I need to go down there together and meet him. Um, Hell yes. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm wearing a necklace here from an Irish designer, Sandra Hartweg, and she actually just had a baby so I was sort of met her right before right you know right before she got pregnant and then by the time we got her onto the site she just had her little baby so so lovely and I met her on my 40th birthday trip is when I sourced her so how cool but how I usually you know find my designers because I need to basically justify a sourcing trip before I go so I just start to, th- I, and it's funny because I've traveled so many different places. So I try to, to create my sourcing roadmap based on places I've never been before that I've always wanted to go to. <laughs> uh, and, exactly. Yeah, I mean, sometimes like literally there was one night where I'm like, where am I going to go next? You know, because like sometimes you have to like figure out the seasons and what's going on with travel restrictions. And I just like pulled up the map of the world and closed my eyes and I like ran my finger and put it down and like it landed on Columbia, which was someplace I'd always wanted to go. And so that's very, it's a very top of the list and the pandemic happened and it didn't, it didn't get to happen, but it's very top on the list. So there's no science between how I pick the locations, except that, you know, I just want to make sure it's a place where I am truly stimulating their economy, which is pretty much, you can find that anywhere. And then what I start to do is 
I look up like unique designer and I put that country name after it and I go into like Facebook or Instagram and I just type that into the search field and I That's see That's so brilliant that. and so yeah. simple. Yeah, yeah. And so, and then I'll start to like, as I find things I like, I'll look at it, I'll see who posted it. And then if it's the designer, I'll kind of go and see who's tagged them and stuff and see what the people who support their brand, like what type of person they are, how they're rocking their clothes, how, you know, engaged they are with the brand. So all of those are cues for me to say that this is a brand that people are willing to rally for. And if you've passed all that test, I write this super sketchy note to them through DM on social media. <laughs> so I direct message them and I'm like, hey, I'm going to be in your country in a few weeks. I'd love to meet with you. I have, and, and this was even more weird before I actually had a website because right. <laughs> there was nothing they could even look at to see what if this is legit. So, I, you know, I said, I, I have this company, I support developing designers. I'd love to meet with you. And that's literally the extent of it. And to me, the sign of a, someone who's hustling is they will take any meeting, regardless of how sketchy it sounds, you know, because they're like, I'm not going to let the possibility of an opportunity pass me by. So I'll send out a bunch of these. I'll say my hit rate's probably 90 to 95%. Very few people don't answer me. And so I don't, I need to codify it eventually. I don't know what it is about my process and how I find them, why they always say yes. Maybe, I don't, I don't know. But um, I take one guess. <laughs> so I'm guessing at the top of that list is your authenticity. Your authenticity because you only ever show up as you. I know that from my experience of you. I'm sure it's your authenticity and your and your passion. And now you have the platform to showcase. But girl, you you show up because you're you doing what you love to do, and you are so generous. Oh, thank you so much for saying that. I mean, the way people reflect you back to yourself is is so mean. That's the most meaningful thing in the world to me. Yeah. So I appreciate you saying that to me so much. But it is, it, and it does, it always proves out. I mean, very rarely have I seen a relationship through that wasn't productive or wasn't exactly what I hoped it would be. And so I, I literally have these amazing designer friends. I feel so sexy. I'm like, oh, let me And you are. Yeah. With or without your designer friends, let's be clear. But now you're like, even like now you've got the whole wardrobe, you've got the designer friends on your arms. Like you got it all, girl. You got the trappings. Yeah. It's just, it's so cool. And I just get to like, they love telling their story and I love listening to it. And it's just such a special moment for me. And then when you find one, honestly, it becomes very easy after that. Cause where there's one, there's many. Yeah. Like, well, I have, like they see how great the experience is and they're like, I have this friend and I have this one. And then you get into this point of like, well, now I have to start filtering, you know, yeah. <laughs> I can only help so many people. But one of my most special stories was in the very early days, because my brother used to live in London and I was visiting him and it was, was it on? No, it was the trip. So there was the trip where I realized I was going to start the company. And like that was New Year's Eve. When the universe basically forced you to realize, right, which, right. you know, we can thank you to that corp. Thank you to that company that just cut your contract because the world got you and Optimus made. Oh, thank you. That's so yes. amazing. I'll have to tell them that. Yes, exactly. <laughs> But I went back to London shortly thereafter, and my brother is somebody who really loves, he's, he just is always trying, he's a thrill seeker. He's always looking for new experiences, and so he knows every market there is to know 
like throughout all of Europe. I mean, he's always, he loves those types of experiences and just kind of, not necessarily because he likes to, to buy a bunch of stuff, but he just likes to just seek out new places. And so naturally I said, I need to start meeting some designers. He goes, let me take you to a couple places. So he took me to all his most favorite markets and he took me to this one market, Spitalfields Market in London. I love that. I've been there. Yes. And it's like an artist district over there. Mm-hmm. And there was so much eye candy there. I was like, oh my God. This is... And there was this little black woman, South African, and she was just hustling the hell out of her business. She was surrounded and swarmed by people. You couldn't talk to her for more than about 30 seconds because there'd be a lot. Someone would be like pushing you out of the way to talk to her. And I'm like, Ooh, and her stuff was so interesting. And I'm like, that's someone I need to know. So I started looking around and sure enough, my hands were full in less than three and a half minutes because I just, there were so many things I wanted to take with me. And, you know, I said, I want to meet with you. I'm going to come back. And so she and I met up the next day and she told me her story and it was everything I hoped it would be and more. So she never had any formal fashion training or design training. She just had an artistic eye and she knew how to draw. So she started drawing ideas of what she wanted to create. She figured out how to translate that into patterns. So then she was finding these cool textiles and she was taking it to a laundromat and she was saying, she would cut out the piece and say, can you just stitch this together for me? Like the tailoring part of the laundromat. Yeah. And so they were doing it and she was taking what they stitched together and taking it to the market and selling it. And so she kept coming back and this was her way of getting things sewn because she didn't know how to sew herself. And the owner of the laundromat said, look, I know what you're doing. And he was like, you come with me. And he took her to the back and he took her to the machine and he gave her a three minute sewing lesson. And he goes, I don't want to see you back here again. Wow. I have like head to toe goosebumps. Yeah. So he taught her how to fish, which is exactly what my goal is. I want to teach my designers how to fish so they can eat for a lifetime. And from that day forward, she started watching YouTube videos and that's how she learned. And she got herself a sewing machine. And now to this day, she's one of my best in terms of the quality of the handmaking. She's one of the top of all my designers that I have. Okay. What is her name? We need to know her and celebrate her. Chantel Koning, K-O-N-I-N-G, and her brand is You, Me, We. And it's you, me with two E's and we with two E's. Yeah. How beautiful. I've never heard that story. Yes. The time I've spent with you. Oh my God. She actually, yeah. And we collaborated during the pandemic actually, because she's one of those people who's like, you give me a, you give me a job and I'll get it done. And I said we need to do something about this mask situation. And she never throws away a piece of material because it's like she's self trained, self taught. Everything has meaning and value to her, so she holds on to all of it. We did an interview in her studio when for this docu series I'm going to be releasing soon. And I mean, her place is just full of all of these textiles and all this cool stuff. And I'm like, gosh. And she's like, I don't throw anything away. And so I said, well, we, you know, these masks are becoming a thing. And she's like, I'm doing double-sided sustainable masks with all my remnant materials that I've saved over the years. So they're sustainable. And so she said, how many do you want? And so we did a quick deal and she sent me masks. This is one of them. Oh my God. They're so cute. I saw you post these on social media and I'm like, yes. oh, damn, I need some of those. 
the first Do you still set- have any, by the way? Oh, yeah, I just restocked. The first oh set okay. sold out in like three days. So I had to restock with her. And now those are starting to fly. So there's lots okay. of good stuff on the site right now. So. I am placing my order right after this conversation <laughs> because I've been looking for more cute ones. I have only one that I really like and think is cute. And it would be another excuse to support your business. Yes. And the proceeds go to Black Lives Matter. So yes. there's I'm supporting different organizations, Campaign Zero. I've donated to the Brianna Taylor GoFundMe, um, uh, Black College Tours to help students, you know, get access to college experience and help them get into some of the top colleges. Black Women's Blueprint, which helps women, Black women to, you know, be able to understand how to assimilate and be a part of the dominant culture and to be competitive. And so, yeah. Oh, that's so powerful. I mean, there's like, I knew as soon as I decided I was doing a podcast that you were going to be one of my guests because you're my, one of my favorite people. And as we've been going through the awakening, as you called it, I'm like, and I want to support every woman of color with my platform so that we can make better choices in supporting Black-owned businesses and we can make better choices in supporting the kinds of organizations that you just talked about. And so that was also one of my ways, like I want to see your business flourish and fly and what you're doing is so incredibly powerful, my friend. Oh my God. I love it. I mean, when I, I didn't even know that you were going to ask me to be a guest. I just saw you announce it through a post on Facebook. And I said, oh, God, wouldn't it would be a dream to be on that podcast. Oh. A girl, I've had, I've had a running list for so long of like all my favorite people. And I'm like, I have to say that I haven't, I haven't talked about this at all on the podcast, but as I was like drafting that list and building on it over time, I just took inventory of my life. And I was like, I know some of the most incredible souls. And I love that one by one, I could go down that list and go, oh, okay, Rochelle, rebelling for, because you told me the underdog story. And, you know, all these conversations, my friend Jessica, rebelling for authenticity, my friend Cheryl, rebelling for grace and justice. And I was like, not only do I know the most incredible souls like Rochelle Webb, they are making an impact in the world. Oh my gosh. I, I mean, you, so you did something, I mean, I just, I love everything you're doing and I want to be a part of anything that you do <laughs> to the point where I gave the commencement address at UC Berkeley for their executive MBAs this past year. And you were a part, a moment of my commencement address. I know. Like, and I listened to it and I was like, you, first of all, badass address, like well done. First of all, just the honor of getting invited back to give a commencement address is huge. huge. And then to have sabbatical plugged in there, I was like, oh, you go. Yes. And I, I you, yeah. that was actually one of the biggest things that people asked me about after the talk. And they were, they were like, I got to go buy this book. I got to go get this book. And so, because, you know, a lot of people, we, you know, whether you talk about it or not openly, we get into these places of feeling lost and wondering what our purpose is. And I just feel like you so beautifully coined this moment of transition and kind of gave us the tools that we need to do the work so beautifully. You made it feel so relatable and so accessible and like, oh, it's not so hard. I just, you know, it's going to be work, but 
now I know what steps I need to take to get there. I just love that aspect of it. And I, you know, so I find myself talking about it all the time. And frankly, when I left Quicksilver, I mean, that's what I did. I was on a sabbatical, kind of trying to find my way and it led me to where I am today. So it's so incredibly special. And so I think that, you know, I know you did, you did, and you do some really cool things. And I, I, we've talked about this before. I feel like what you're doing for humans is what I'm trying to do for entrepreneurs. And we think about the whole human. And so in, in, in the face of the pandemic, you did really cool things like have these virtual happy hours. You reached out to people on social and you were like, what do you need? I'm here for you. And you genuinely went through each and every post and said, gotcha. Like I said, I wanted a happy hour. You were just like Thursday at five, you know, and I joined your happy hour and it was amazing. I mean, the people that you're surrounded by, that's no surprise because you're, you are just, you are a badass bitch. <laughs> can we say that on here? Oh, of course we can. This is going to be explicit in every episode. It's yeah. rare. I don't even think I've dropped the F-bomb yet. So we'll have to work one in before the end. Okay. So I want to make sure before we wrap this conversation that we talk about how you are using all of this experience. So as your experience as a marketer, now your experience as an entrepreneur, and you are teaching this girl. So now you're at Loyola Marymount University as a full-time professor teaching its marketing and entrepreneurship, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. So can you talk, because I want all of us to benefit from your wisdom of like, okay, how are you, how are you sharing the lessons from your journey with your students and what good nuggets can you share with us? Um, It's a little bit selfish. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great question. So first of all, I have to say something about me and I've sat in many and many classrooms in my time, right? I've gotten my undergraduate group degree. I've gotten my master's in business administration and I've taken many other courses outside of just formal education as well, because I'm just internally curious and love to learn. Clearly. (laughs) (laughs) But the thing is, is like in all of these classes, I find there's nothing wrong with it, but, you know, it's like the Socratic method or this case-based teaching and it's very, you know, let's study this situation and unpack it and do all, run all the numbers and everything. And that's great because that's something you will do in the real world, but it's not hands-on, you know, it's taking theory and figuring out how do I use that theory in a situation that happened sometime in the history. I like people to work in the now and see the cause and effect of the work that they're doing in the classroom. So my classes are all structured to be very immersive and hands-on. And I like for people to work on something that they're passionate about. So I tie them to a actual project, something that's actually happening, or something that they get to choose on their own and develop. So they can actually live the experience of what it's like to build a startup I and live the experience that. of what it's right, like to write a good market strategy. So if I were to give you an example where I was a little bit selfish, <laughs> I had this class of MBA students who I had I had most of them in two different classes. So I actually already knew like at what level they'd be able to operate. And I saw that as an opportunity and I was going to bring in an industry partner, but upon reflection, I was like, I want these people to work for Optimus Made. Yes, (laughs) yes, yes. 
So it was a it was an entrepreneurial marketing class at the MBA level, and it was just the perfect size for them to run this experiment with them. And I was nervous myself because my company is still so young. It's very easy to break things. I do it all the time. <laughs> And then it takes me a long time to fix it because I can't afford to hire help yet. And it's just, you know, so you're kind of like, oh, am I ready to turn this over to somebody else that doesn't really yet know? They're learning on the job, right? But that's life, right? And you just roll with it. And in my mind, I just had this belief that they were going to get me much further, much faster than I would on my own. So it was worth the risk. And what I did was we spent the first sort of one third to one half of the the semester, teaching them theory. So teaching them like all that goes into starting a company, all that goes into writing a marketing plan, all that goes into cleaning data and then making it usable and understanding how do you make decisions based on that data. So we learned how all of that works on previous cases, right? So how is, you know, what is the process? What does this look like for other companies and how did that play itself out? And then I wrote job descriptions for each person in the class because I watched them over the first half of the semester and I saw what they were drawn to. I saw what they focused on in their homework assignments. I saw, and it just, it it happened to work out that each of them was very interested in some different aspect of business. Oh, this is the universe delivering through through. There was one guy that loved data. There was one guy who was a hardcore product guy. There was one girl who was brand. She was creative. There's another girl that was like all about tech and functionality and user experience. I'm like, you guys wrote your own job descriptions, you know? So I really, I gave them titles, you know, they were all chief of. And, you know, and they were real titles that you would see in the real world. And I wrote real job descriptions for them. And then I announced in class that you guys had been hired to work for Optimus Made. And uh, here are your titles and job descriptions. And I read them through. I sent them out to them. They, they, had, their, they had to have their own regular status call. Then they had to have a status call with me once a week. And they each week, so they had assignments they had to work on throughout the rest of the semester. And the assignment that they'd be working on there was a natural lead based on their role for each one of those assignments. So one of them had to step up for each homework assignment and take lead and basically organize the rest of their team on how to get them what they needed in order to deliver the final product. So it was like this cool thing. The pressure was on someone different every week, but they all had to work together to make it happen. And so I simulated what a real team inside of a real company would look like. And for them, it was like, whoa, like we've never experienced anything like this inside of a classroom, you know? So it was really cool. And that's just, that's an example of how I teach. And it's been really interesting going online. Oh yeah. <laughs> it's a fun I can challenge, but yeah. I, well, I've been threatening to show up to your class because I so want to, well, maybe we'll do something around sabbatical, but also I just want to experience you because you're applying, you're such a creative soul and you're applying so much of that creativity to even how you think about teaching and the art of teaching and bringing the classroom into the business is such a brilliant example of how your brain kind of reframes. I mean, I think that's one of the things I'm getting out of this conversation is like, you just have this brilliant way of like, you're looking at retailing and e-tailing completely different, right? You're in the incubation Mm -hmm. business. Mm -hmm. And 
That's such a cool way of thinking about it. You're in the business of supporting the underdog and giving back. And, and now you're like, I want to disrupt how these students are learning and bring them into the real world. And that's what we all need, right? Because how else do we know how to operate in this world? Yeah. So I'm fundraising right now. And I, I literally have a handful of people in my life who I'm just like, I want to put you in my pocket and take you on every pitch because you see it, like you get it. I mean, can you just pitch for me? That's yeah, well, well, I'll give you the I'll give you the video role of this conversation. Yeah, I know. I was thinking about that. Oh yeah, like, I'll totally share it with you, and then you okay. can like, well, we'll have we'll actually have the final version when it goes up on YouTube when this comes out. You take it, take it and use it. But you know what? If I can ever help and with supporting words or a testimonial, I mean, you know, I wear your clothes all the time. And everybody listening, I am not kidding. Like when I go to LA, I'm like, Rochelle, you, she, you don't have a storefront. You have like a studio and you sometimes do events at your studio. Yeah. And I am always like, it is one of the first things I want to do. We always have a little bit of wine and yeah. then we'll go in and start trying stuff on left, right, so and center. Fun. And inevitably, like one day I'm going to learn on my next trip, I'm going to learn to just show up with an empty suitcase because I don't know why I bring all these clothes to LA and then I go shopping in your studio and I'm like, what was I thinking? <laughs> That's what I do on my sourcing trips. I put uh, my clothes in my carry-on, which are very minimalist. And then I just like take an empty suitcase. It's super smart. And the thing that I didn't say earlier that I, I think I don't want to miss is how affordable your stuff is. So, mm. you know, we've said designer, 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 but I think, I think the term designer gets equated to high end, super expensive. Yeah. And while these clothes all feel high end to me, they're accessible from yes. a price point. So I totally invite, well, the men, you don't do men's stuff yet, right? It's coming, it's coming, it's coming, coming, coming. It was okay. supposed to be, it was supposed to be June, but then the pandemic hit, which got in the way of sourcing trips. But I have a few men designers already lined up, one in Canada, one in Ireland. And so I just need to round out the offering before I push it live. Oh, but, you heard it here first, so excited. So right now you're women's clothes and jewelry and accessories and then and soon to come and home decor. Right. Right. And then soon to come the men's stuff. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So for somebody like you've taken us on your journey and there were so many beautiful pieces in that journey that have led you to where you are right now. And for anyone who's listening to this, who's kind of like sitting on that precipice of like, I know what lights me on fire. I know what my passion is. And yet it's really scary to do what you're doing. It's really scary to do what I'm doing, to kind of walk away from that, that safety, that security. What advice would you give? I would say turn your fear into action. People ask me all the time, how do you, how do you do it? How do you have enough time in the day to get it all done? Like your life is just so amazing. And I, I just, I would like to say, cause I don't ever really say this, but I had a, I had a pretty hard, a pretty real conversation with a friend um, a couple nights ago who 
she's recently pregnant and she's, you know, going through everything that all the hormones and emotions that come with that. And she shared some things with me and, you know, she said, gosh, like you just make it, it look so easy, but you do so much. And I go, it's not easy, you know? And I, I have my own sort of like mental warfare, I call it. And I have my own like seriously down moments, but I know in my heart of heart, I can't sit there. I can't sit in that. I have to use it for productivity. And so I take that and I turn it into how can how can I do something to compensate for how I'm feeling right now that's going to improve my life or my business in some way and so I think that a lot of people will sit in their fear and sit in their anxiety and let it drag them down like shackles on their ankles and I don't have time for that to me and I just to me I just try to think about you know in this with what's happening to me I mean, what's the worst possible outcome? There's really like, you know, I'm still alive, you know, I'm still able to move through the world in a way, it may not be the way that I want, but I'm still moving through the world, you know? So other than that, like, the, like everything's fixable. I look at everything as fixable. Yeah. <laughs> and so I just really, I just don't take too much time to overthink because you don't have anything to really think about until you do something and people get paralyzed by just all the fears that come with doing. And I'm sure you've, you've felt the same way, you know, and some, not everything is going to be a win, but that's okay. You know, and I make okay mistakes, be okay. Making mistakes yes. because mistake, this came up in another conversation. Mistakes are data points. Mistakes are learnings. Mystical moments. Right. And my and- final lecture at LMU, every class, is I give it my failure talk, my failure lecture. (laughs) And it's all the times in my career where things didn't go my way. Things didn't go as expected. But I also talk about what I learned in that moment. Without fail in my evaluations after every class, they're like, that talk was so powerful and unexpected. And it just showed us that life is not a straight line. You're going to take zigzag. And it's it's better to know that going into it because no one ever tells you that. And I think a lot of people try to like hide their failure. And I'm like, no, I embrace it. I'm not perfect. <laughs> celebrate it, right? And it makes it a lot less scary when we celebrate it as learnings and lessons. Yeah. I'm so curious. Do you have a short failure story that you could share with us? Because I find the same thing. It's so powerful to hear from really successful people who I think we put on a pedestal. And it's like, well, clearly they never did anything wrong or tripped or fell on their face or made a mistake. And it's like, no, actually, I'm here right now because of all all of those failures, yeah. failures or mistakes or whatever you want to call them. Yeah, a hundred percent. I mean, and, and sometimes it, it isn't just, it, it's just an unexpected moment, something that happened to you that, in the way that you didn't expect. But I mean, I, I, I have the longest list. My list is so long that when I give the talk, I think about the class I'm teaching and I, I, I tell the stories based on the type of class I'm teaching. So I like, I pick my failures based on what they've learned over the semester and what they're likely to do after the class is over. I would say a more recent one, which hits on my entrepreneurial journey was when I left Quicksilver. It was a really daunting time for me because I felt like I failed in terms of like, I didn't do what I was supposed to do as the marketing head in that organization. And it was this whole infighting of old school versus new school. And I came in with this very modern day marketing plan of like, we're going all digital and everything's data led and data driven. And they're like, we like our print ads in the magazines. And rather than respecting there's a compromise, I just shut everything down, stripped down to the studs and like went 
and flew forward on this movement towards digital that they weren't, they didn't understand and weren't ready for, and that wasn't fair to them. And so that caused a lot of unnecessary emotional trauma between us as colleagues that I had to do a lot of work then unwinding for some time after that. And I would say we finally started to get there right as I was laid off and the restructuring. And, but, you know, I took with me that you're only going to move as quickly as, you know, you're, I don't want to call it your slowest link, but like the, the people that are, you know, connected to your vision, right? So if people aren't tracking with you, it's the same thing in the classroom. They're not going to move with you. They're just going to sit there in silence feeling like I don't understand what's happening. And then when I left Quicksilver, I went on my, my soul sabbatical. I made a vow to take three to six months to do nothing and just kind of soul search and to listen, but not to proactively go after any jobs and to see if anything piqued my interest. And in that time, actually, what happened was one of my colleagues from Quicksilver reached out to me and wanted to start a company together. And so I, I jumped into that because that's my personality. <laughs> <laughs> and they were going to bootstrap the organization. So I knew that we had some runway already there to develop our MVP. And ultimately, you know, and, and my my agreement was I was going to self-fund my salary for six months, which would have been the rest of my severance. And that that was my investment to the company that I would work for free for that time period. And then it turned out that once that time came, that person decided that they didn't want to really like do anything. They wanted to be semi-retired at that particular moment and go on their soul sabbatical, which I can totally respect because I had already had the benefit of seeing mine through partially. So I get why it was very necessary and very needed, especially coming out of what we, what we had been through together. But that left me in a situation of, wow, I didn't really do anything the past six months to try to find, figure out what's next. And so I was thrown into, again, he's probably someone I should thank because that's what threw me into starting my own consultancy, which ultimately ended up being what I did for four year, four and a half years. So yeah, um, and led and led to what you're doing now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. There's so I mean, many I gifts. think if that hadn't happened, I don't know if Optimus Made would exist, you know? Yeah. And we always need to look for the gifts in those moments. They may, they may feel really shitty and painful as they're happening. The layoff, the, you know, the client saying, oops, can't pay you, you know, going to cut this contract, all of those things. There's always a gift in them. And look, I mean, that was a series of gifts that gave us Optimus Made and, and this whole world that you're creating and that I'm so excited to introduce all my fellow rebel souls to. So how can people find you now that they've fallen in love with you? Oh, I love it. So I'm at Optimus Made on all the socials and that's Optimist, like optimistic and made M-A-D-E. And then I'm at Rochelle Webb on social media as well. And then the website is www.optimistmade.com. Yay. Check it out, you guys. Let's support Rochelle's business, your vision. I think I feel like having such a powerful why and such a clear vision about how you are contributing to the world. I say now ROI is ripples of impact. And that's exactly what you're creating in the world. And everybody who's listened to this podcast so far has heard me say this a number of times, but I am just geeking out on all the people in my world who are creating ripples of impact and ultimately changing lives. 
you're going to become a part of my pitch because now I'm going to have to credit you and use that. <laughs> yeah, and you know what? I will, I've said this before, but I'll say it again. I was giving a presentation. I wrote a Rebel Leaders Manifesto and gave this probably the most passionate presentation I've ever given to 150 corporate, uh, they're basically coaches, consultants, and corporate leaders. And one of the women, like the chat was firing up. Of course, this is virtual. This is during the pandemic. The chat was firing up. And this woman said, Shelly, you have just redefined find ROI. She actually fed it to me. She said, it's not return on investment. It's ripples of impact. And that's what you're doing in the world. And I, I lit up like a Christmas tree. I was just like, that is it. So I will forever, I will forever credit Amina for giving me that. And I am sharing it. So we all start to use it. So please use it liberally, use it in your pitches because it's what you're doing. Yes. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm so, I'm so proud to be your friend and a customer. (laughs) One of my best, (laughs) you and my mom and my investor, Annie are the top three customers I have. (laughs) I love it. Well, that's not going away anytime soon. So I can't wait to see like the next stash when I'm out there in a couple of months. And Mm -hmm. thank you for coming on and having this conversation and just sharing your beautiful heart and soul. I'm so honored to know you and to be supporting you and everything I can do to just keep introducing the world to Rochelle and Optimus Made, I will do. Thank you so much for having me. And you were just a breath of fresh air in life. And I appreciate you so much. So thank you for all that you do because you're making a difference. Uh, Thank you so much. And thanks to everyone listening to this. I hope you guys love this conversation as much as I do. I know I say that every time, but honestly, I know the most amazing people. And (laughs) this is like, this is my most fun work ever. Just getting to have conversations like this with people who are just live deep in my soul. So thanks for hanging with us for this conversation. I hope you got a lot of juicy nuggets and go shop Optimist Made, you guys. (laughs) See See you there. Yeah, bye. Hey, Rebel. Thanks for listening. If you were inspired by what you heard, please subscribe, rate, and review so our fellow Rebel souls can find us. We have big work to do together. And if you want to dive deeper, head on over to my website at soulbatical.com and follow me at Sylvatical on Instagram. Until next time, stay bold, brave, and badass, and never stop asking, what am I rebelling for?